This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm great. Good. Glad to hear it. Summer is officially here, I feel like. I mean, it's not official until later this month, but for us, I feel like we've been officially in summer for a while. It's so hot. So hot. So hot. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to Florida. Yeah. But it's been great. Um, We've been enjoying like a lot of time outside, and even though it's been hot, I mean, it's perfect weather for summertime stuff, swimming in pools and yeah. playing on trampolines with water hoses and things like that. <laughs> Very dangerous activities yeah, all go exactly. down during the summer. Yeah, I hear you. So on that note, uh, we actually wanted to let you guys know that uh, after this week, we are going to be dropping down to doing um, one episode every two weeks just for the duration of the summer. So I'm sorry to anyone who feels personally victimized by this news. <laughs> Raise your hand if you feel personally vin- or personally victimized by Mandy's statement. Yeah, I, I see know. you. I see I'm you. I'm so sorry, but um, but really, we just um, we kind of want to enjoy the summer a little bit and enjoy our children. And let's throw the children in there because yeah. people can't make you feel guilty <laughs> if you say you want to spend time with yeah. your children. No, but really, that's true. Um, we do. We want to just kind of uh, just take a little bit of a breather and have some breathing room. We've also got some stuff that we have going in the works that. Um, we can't really share just I yet. can't wait. I'm dying. It's killing me inside. Yeah. It's too much. We are. We're like so excited to share when the time comes, but that is taking up a lot of our attention. So we are, um, you know, we don't want to go anywhere and we always want to put out good content. So yeah. we're just going to drop it down just, yeah. uh, just temporarily. We will be back to weekly episodes in the beginning of September. Right. So after this episode, the next one will not be out for two more weeks. Right. Um, we still have our Patreon and there's old episodes and we'll be on a few shows coming up yes. here shortly. But yeah, just for the summer, we just, you get kind of, your brain gets burnout. I don't know how to yeah. say that, but like you want to, like you said, you want to do good content, have good content and stuff like that. And if I think if we continue killing ourselves every week, we might kill each other. We might be on our own podcast. Yeah. It'd be like a show within a show. It's very meta. Somebody could take over for us. Yeah. So yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Goodness. I know. I'm scared now. I know. You should be. <laughs> so today's story is so outrageous that it was the inspiration for a Hollywood dark comedy movie called Pain and Gain. Uh, that film was directed by Michael Bay and starred Mark Wahlberg, Dwayne Johnson, and Anthony Mackie in the leading roles. Have you ever seen it, Melissa? I haven't. But I also saw that Tony Shalhoub was in there. I feel like he did not get his due in your little lineup. I know. There. Well, actually, there was a lot of big names in there that I didn't mention. I'm yeah. so sorry. But, <laughs> but no, actually, I watched it yesterday. Oh, um, did you? Yeah. Well, my husband loves that movie and has seen it a few times. And But every time he puts it on or has in the past, I've it's been one of those movies I've kind of ignored because it didn't seem that interesting. Right. You were <laughs> so, wrong. I was wrong. I yeah. had no idea. So, of course, the plot of the movie was really made for for – for film, you know, it was made for the movies, but it 
involved a posse of money-hungry bodybuilders who would stop at nothing to obtain these riches that they felt that they deserved. And it was set in Miami. And these beefed up bad boys would just go on this crime spree involving the kidnapping, torture, and murder of wealthy individuals as part of their plan to extort them and take everything they had. So um, it sounds very Hollywood, but it was actually based on a true story. And after I watched the movie, I realized that um, it was – there was, of course, differences. It's not exactly – it's a dark comedy. So there's parts of it that are – you know, dramatized quite a bit or yeah. that it just didn't even flat out happen at all. But um, but really the movie, um, even though it was based on it, it, I think the true to life details of this story are much worse than anything that they put in this movie. Well, let's get into let's it. Let's do it, <laughs> Melissa. <laughs> the story begins in 1994 with a man named Mark Schiller. Mark is an Argentinian American who moved to New York with his family when he was seven years old. He was a highly intelligent child who had started a few small businesses by the age of nine so that he could pay for his education. He went on to attend college at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee and earned a bachelor's degree in accounting, followed by an MBA from Benedictine University. After college, he went on to become a successful entrepreneur working for large companies both internationally and in the U.S. At the time our story takes place, November 15, 1994, Mark was working as the owner of a deli that he had just opened in Miami. Mark had just left the deli and headed for the parking lot to go home that afternoon when he was suddenly attacked from behind by three men. He was beaten, tased, dragged into a van, and taken to an unfamiliar warehouse where he would spend the next month of his life being burned, starved, and denied access to a bathroom. The men who had kidnapped him only wanted one thing, money. They knew Mark Schiller was a successful businessman, and they had carefully chosen him as their target. But who were these guys, and how did they pick Mark? The man ultimately responsible for the kidnapping was named George Delgado. Delgado was far from being a stranger to Mark Schiller. In fact, the two were close enough that Mark had allowed Delgado access to his home when he and his wife and children went on vacations. Delgado had been an employee of Mark's accounting firm back in 1991, and eventually he bought a portion of Mark's business that dealt with Medicare reimbursement payments. The two had formed a trusting friendship, but their relationship kind of began to crumble in 1992 when Delgado joined the Sun Gym and befriended a sketchy character named Daniel Lugo. Lugo was a six foot two personal trainer and the manager of the weightlifters hangout. Um, the Sun Gym was actually, it was a gym, but it was more like, it's not like LA Fitness. <laughs> Mandy and I are now proud members of LA Fitness. They did not pay us to say that either. No, they didn't. <laughs> they should, though. <laughs> no, they shouldn't. We were embarrassing ourselves there. It's okay. <laughs> no, but it's, um, I kind of got the impression from reading about it and learning about the story that it was maybe like not the most savory gym environment, if you can <laughs> say that without sounding offensive. I feel like no gym environments are very savory. It's like I mean, always smells like sweat no matter what you do. some gyms that I would be okay going to and some that I probably would be like, I don't really belong here. Yeah. Well, I don't belong at any gym. <laughs> <laughs> it's very obvious when I get on equipment backwards and then instead of getting on it the right way, I just walk away. And <laughs> <laughs> pretend nobody saw you. Take a lap. Yeah. So this gym was kind of also like a hangout for certain types of people. Um, I'm not just saying this to be mean, but like many of the guys who worked out at the Sun Gym also took steroids and like that's also kind of part of the story. So that's just all I'm saying. <laughs> that's all she's saying. That's guys. all I'm saying. So on occasion, Daniel Lugo would accompany Delgado on visits to Mark Schiller's home. And when Lugo learned more about Mark through this new friendship with Delgado, he kind of decided that he wanted to try and go into business with these two men. But Mark wasn't interested. 
He thought that Lugo was untrustworthy and had something about him that just seemed like trouble. And that was an opinion that he tried to share with Delgado, but kind of went ignored. And Delgado was just like, whatever, Daniel Lugo is so cool. <laughs> is, that, is that exactly what he said, Mandy? I'm not sure, but I imagine it was something like that. <laughs> so while Delgado's friendship with Lugo grew stronger, his personal and business relationship with Mark began to deteriorate. Mark started to believe that Delgado and Lugo were involved in some shady accounting practices together, working under the company that he had once sold to Delgado. Tensions heightened when Delgado made a scene during a meeting with a banker when he refused to answer questions and became upset with Mark Schiller. It was at this point that Mark decided to sever all business ties with the men. Delgado and Lugo decided to hire a man named John Messi to be Mark's replacement accountant. After some time had passed, in September of 1994, Daniel Lugo told George Delgado that he believed that Mark had been cheating both of them out of money during the time they spent working together. And Lugo then conspired with other buddies from the Sun Gym to kidnap Mark in order to extort him and force him to sign over all of his cash and assets that would be equal to what Lugo believed they were owed. I like that they're just like, we'll just we'll just do this on our own. Yeah. This is a situation, but we're gonna yeah. do this on our own. <laughs> George Delgado then turned on his one-time friend and business partner and provided details about Mark's home, vehicles, family, and personal habits to Lugo and the rest of the Sun Gym gang, including a man named Adrian Dorbel, who was another steroid-riddled bodybuilder. Um, actually, this guy was so heavy on steroids that he had become impotent, and he was only, like, 24 at the time of this. So, wow. Yeah. This whole group is very, I don't know. Yeah, we wouldn't belong. We wouldn't no, belong. No, that's gym. what I mean. We yeah. wouldn't go to Sun Gym. <laughs> no. Can you have Diet Cokes in the parking lot? Because that's really like right. my deal breaker. <laughs> so this guy, Adrian Dorbel, was kind of uh, known as Danny Lugo's little protege. And he would always do really whatever Danny said and just didn't ask any questions. He just wanted to be just like Danny Lugo. Yeah. The men obtained handcuffs, walkie-talkies, and a stun gun to help them kidnap Mark, but the night that they finally pulled off their plan was actually the eighth time that they had attempted his abduction, which is just a part of the story <laughs> that, I mean, it just goes to show, I guess, like, these are not professional kidnappers or no. professional anything. So Eight I, times they tried to kidnap this guy? But I saw, like, I watched, like, a 48 Hours, which, oh my gosh, 48 Hours, guys, it's not the same as Dateline. No. It's really not. It's not. The guy does his tone, like... And then the men were going to out, going to go out for this, whatever. <laughs> so the guy is explaining it, and they actually at one point were like hiding under blankets on his lawn, right? And like would see lights coming through and realize like, oh, we can't. People will see us pop up from these, right? From these blanket <laughs> forts, and yeah. So then they were like yelling, "Abort, abort!" and running around the yard. So yeah, eight failed attempt. Attempts. Yeah. Yeah, and there was a time like two weeks before they actually kidnapped him. They had plans to dress in Halloween costumes on Halloween night and kidnap him when he opened his front door for what he thought would be trick-or-treaters. But they ended up abandoning that plan and decided to go hang out at the local strip club instead. So I don't know how you change your plans that drastically. Yeah. <laughs> Kids thing, strip club. <laughs> yeah. So on November 15th, they finally kidnapped Mark Schiller. Delgado and Lugo were not actually present for the kidnapping. They had sent some other little cohorts from the gym to go do their dirty work of committing the actual crime of kidnapping right. a man. Sure. Once they had Mark at the warehouse, they demanded that he give him a list of all of his assets. When Mark refused, the men beat him with a gun and shocked him with a stun gun before asking him to share his personal information once again. When he still refused to comply with their demand... The men held a revolver to his head and spun the cylinder before pulling the trigger twice in a game of Russian roulette. 
After the men were satisfied that they had scared Mark into cooperating, they informed him that they already knew about most of his assets and wanted him to confirm that they were accurate and tell him of any assets that they didn't know about. They also told him that they needed the alarm code to his house. Mark was convinced that Delgado was behind the plot because he was the only one who knew such a detail about his personal life. Mark was told that if he refused to cooperate with the men, his wife and children would also be abducted and that his wife would be raped in front of him. Mark eventually agreed to sign over all of his assets to the men in exchange for having his wife and children relocated to another country unscathed. Very smart on his part. Right. You know, of all the things you could do, like he's held out to this point, I just thought like, okay, wow, that guy, that's a lot to think about under that kind of pressure. It is. So the other thing, though, the wife and kids, they did leave. They went to Columbia, where right. I guess her family was from, and she took the kids, like I said. Um, his wife did not go to the police. I know. Though, at this point, if my husband calls me and says, I'm in a warehouse being tortured by some, by, you know, these guys, just leave the country. I mean, I, I might le- try to leave the country, but I'm probably also going to tell the police. <laughs> oh, I'm out of the country and making calls on the plane. Right. <laughs> yeah. I That part I did understand, but the other part... I felt kind of bad for Mark because he was gone for a month and like no one cared. No one called the police. Yeah. No, like no business dealings. But part of that, it seems that Mark was involved in some shady business dealings, possibly with the Medicare reimbursements and defrauding the government, really. And so those people that knew him, they wanted to know, you know, they knew maybe that he was involved in that. And if they're bringing the police, in on this, like he's going to get caught. So if exactly. it's not something else, if you went on vacation and nobody realizes, but I would be ticked off if I was in a warehouse for a month and no one, no one was looking for me. Right. Nothing. Yeah, I know. That is a scary thought. Over the next several days, Mark signed away basically his entire life. He signed the deed to his house, documents granting access to his checking, his savings and IRA accounts, and authorization for changing the beneficiary of his million-dollar life insurance policies. You have to know you're just a dead man. Yeah. And I don't know how it was in the 90s, but um, I honestly can't imagine that it was, it's this easy to, like, just steal all of someone's assets. Like, just speaking from personal experience, like, when my dad passed away and all the stuff that we had to do to get, like – just to get all that stuff transferred, you know, like his bank account information and all this to get all that into like our, you know, possession. It's not just as easy as being like here, sign Sign on the dotted line. Like I, I, like I said, maybe it was different back then, but this seems like. Well, would it be different because it's, it's his signature. He's doing it. You know what I'm saying? Like he's present to do that. So I would think it's not so hard. Like if you were to put your husband's name on your checking account, that's easy. You just need a signature. Well, they have to go into the branch, but you know what I mean? It's not, it's not, maybe it's a little bit different, but I see what you mean. But the second, like all this is going on in life insurance policies and stuff, I wish there was like a flag going up with, you know, your bank or something. Like something's not right here. Yeah, for sure. The two men, along with other members of the gym gang, ran up a lot of credit card debt with Mark's credit cards. And when they realized that Mark would be able to identify all of them to the police, they devised a plot to kill him and make it look like it was a car accident. So I guess up until this point, they hadn't been they hadn't considered the fact that, like, we can't just let him go because he's going to know yeah. to tell who we are. Well, um, and like, hey, we're living in his house. Right. Like, won't he just say, hey, police go to this address? Right. I'm pretty sure they're there. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. So they forced Mark at gunpoint to drink large amounts of alcohol and take sleeping pills in the fourth week of his captivity. On December 15th at 2.30 in the morning, Lugo placed Mark in the driver's seat of his car and then pinned down the gas pedal and seared it towards a concrete pole. Miraculously, Mark had not been killed in the crash. 
When Lugo and Dorbel saw that he was still alive, they decided to go to plan B and to douse the car in gasoline and set it on fire with a passed out drunk but still alive Mark sitting inside of it. This, I don't know why, but this particular part of the story really bothered me. Like to even think, let's burn this person alive. Like I don't know what kind of a monster you have to be to even come up with that idea, yeah. first of all, and then be okay with doing it. And like this- you know he's alive in there and like, Let's just pour gasoline all yeah. over it and set at it on fire. At this point, can we not just walk away? Like <laughs> at any tried. of these points, <laughs> yeah. like you've tried, things are not working out for you. But I uh, also heard that he was drinking over a four-day period, like constantly drinking. Right. They were barely feeding him. So imagine what that alcohol is doing. And he's on pills and stuff. Like this guy is smashed right. like a grenade. So the heat from these flames was enough to wake Mark up and his basic survival instinct kicked in. Like you said, he was very out of it. This is not somebody who is in a normal or typical state of mind. Right. Um, he's been through so much over the last several weeks and then even, like you said, the, the most recent few days leading up to this. But his survival instinct kicked in. He managed to get himself out of the burning car and kind of staggered into the street, at which point the two men decided – hey, he's still alive. Let's run him over with our car. So that's what they did. They actually ran Mark Schiller over um, after everything else they've already done. Yeah. Um, instead of just leaving, they ran him over. And then they left the scene believing that they, they ran him over him. and went in reverse. Like they, yes. they were trying. Yeah, they to, were to, you know, to finish him off. Right. But uh, and they believe that they did. And they left the scene and went and did whatever they went and did. Little did they know. Mark had survived all of these things, and he woke up a short time later in the hospital with a broken pelvis, a ruptured bladder, and plenty of bruises and burns, Um, and he was also temporarily paralyzed from all of this. When the bodybuilders got wind that Mark was still alive and recovering in the hospital, they tried to pay him a visit with the intention of finishing the job by suffocating him. They were going to go to the hospital and try to kill him. Yeah. (laughs) Like, at this point, you're just going to be identified. This is a terrible – like, this man's not going to die. Just stop. So when they get to the hospital, they actually couldn't find them. What they didn't know was that Mark had made arrangements to be airlifted to a New York hospital, a choice he made because he was in fear for his life after everything he had been through. Very smart. Like, this guy is – this guy is very intelligent to be able to keep his wits about him this whole time and, like, think, like, get me out of here. For whatever reason, Mark decided not to go to the police and tell them about the kidnapping, torture, and extortion. Danny Lugo had since moved into Mark's home and assumed an alias and had made friends with his neighbors. He actually told him that he was a member of the U.S. security forces and that Mark's house had been confiscated by the government. Yeah. Like, (laughs) this is what I don't get about this plan. Like, they know where to find you. If this guy ever talks, it's very, like, right. you're at his house. There's no, you know, you're not in hiding. One other thing I heard that was pretty interesting was as soon as he comes to in the hospital, he's telling nurses and doctors, hey, I was kidnapped. You know, these guys took me and did all this for a month. And they were like, no, you were drunk driving and you crashed your car into a tree. And so they asked him like, well, how many times did you say anything? He's like, just three. I'm like, really? If that happened to you, you only said it three times. He's like, they just didn't believe me. But it makes sense because, yeah, you were drunk and you crashed into a tree. kind of sounds like ramblings of a crazy person. So Mark finally went to the police in April of 1995, nearly five months after the kidnapping took place. Police were also confused as to why he hadn't gone to them sooner, and perhaps they didn't take him as seriously because of it. In the meantime, the Sun Jim gang had their sights set on another victim. Want to get away? Yeah, 
I do too. But since that's not really on the agenda anytime soon, I'll have to settle for a different kind of journey. And you can too, all with a fun mobile game. June's Journey allows you to enter the realm of June Parker, where an extraordinary adventure awaits. Best of all, no plane tickets needed. Say goodbye to the ordinary and immerse yourself in a world where intrigue meets elegance, courtesy of the drama-filled exploits of June Parker. Whether you're in need of a riveting mystery or simply yearning to escape the monotony of everyday life, June's Journey is your gateway to excitement. Follow June as she unravels hidden family secrets and navigates the intricate web surrounding her sister's demise. It's sort of like an upscale soiree minus the dull weather discussions, although we secretly enjoy those too. But hold on to your pearls as June's Journey is no ordinary mobile game. I'm deep in the fifth chapter with each section proving more enjoyable than the last. From the awe-inspiring scenery to the catchy tunes, every aspect of June's Journey exudes sophistication and refinement. Don't hesitate any longer. Step into June's world and let the thrilling adventure commence. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Just like Lenny Kravitz, I want to get away. I want to fly away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while I'm stuck on the ground for now, I can settle for a new kind of journey all with a fun mobile game. Step into the enchanting world of June Parker with June's Journey, where a spectacular adventure awaits you. And the best part? No plane tickets needed. Bid farewell to the ordinary and immerse yourself in a realm where intrigue dances with elegance, all thanks to the drama-filled escapades of our charming heroine, June Parker. Whether you crave a captivating mystery or simply wish to escape the humdrum of daily life, June's journey is your portal to excitement. Join June on her quest to uncover hidden family secrets and navigate the tangled web surrounding her sister's demise. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and dive into a world where each corner holds a new clue and every twist leaves you on the edge of your seat. But hold on to your pearls because June's Journey is no ordinary mobile game. I'm knee deep in the fifth chapter and each section is really more delightful than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the catchy tunes, every aspect oozes sophistication and refinement. So don't hesitate any longer, step into June's world and let the thrilling adventure unfold. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. So I had actually heard that he, um, Mark, had hired a private eye, basically yeah. a private, you know, detective, and was going to just start looking into this on his own, the case of these men stealing all of this stuff, and hopefully try to, I guess, convince them to just simply give his stuff back. And so then what? whenever they realized, like, that they weren't going to just give back the money or the assets or anything, then that's when um, Mark and his private eye decided to go to police so, but of course the police were like, this is the weirdest story we've ever yeah. heard. Like, <laughs> you know, like you're telling us about this terrible thing that happened to you five months ago. And, you know, I can see why the police would not be jumping. Well, you know, it sounds like, okay, you lost your money. You did something stupid. Right. And this is how you're trying to recover. Yeah. So the gym rats uh, had decided for their next victim on a man named Frank Griga. He was a Hungarian man who had gotten filthy rich on filthy phone sex telephone lines. These are the 900 numbers. Right. Do they still even have those anymore? I mean, with the internet, I highly doubt it. Yeah. There's they not might, much of a might. market for it anymore, you think? Eh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so Adrian Dorbel's girlfriend had told him about Frank and his girlfriend, Christina Furton, and their lavish lifestyle, including having a beautiful yellow Lamborghini that Dorbel apparently coveted right. and just wanted so bad and felt that because he had done nothing with his life, he deserved so right. Danny Lugo fully participated in another plot to kidnap this rich Hungarian couple and to extort them the same way they had done with Mark Schiller. 
Lugo had also told his girlfriend, Sabrina Petresca, that he was a CIA agent and that Dorbel was his partner that helped him with these secret CIA missions. And basically what their story was is that they were going around kidnapping people that were dangerous to the U.S. Okay. And they're doing it for the CIA. And I guess his girlfriend, because she wasn't from the U.S. either. um, So... I guess she just thought that's how it worked in the U.S. I don't know. This is that really beautiful model. Really, really pretty. Yeah. The team of bodybuilders arranged a fake business meeting with Frank under the guise of helping him invest into these sex phone lines in India. So Frank wasn't into it on this first meeting, but Lugo and Dorbel insisted that they go into business together. They were not able to kidnap him as planned, but they came up with a new plan in May of 1995 and pretended to be giving Frank a computer as a gift when, in all reality, they were going to show up carrying concealed firearms and a suitcase full of handcuffs and syringes containing Rompin, which is a horse tranquilizer. Their plan to abduct Frank um, at this meeting also failed, which really made Dorbel angry. But Lugo had already come up with a plan C, I guess, if you will. These guys are not good at kidnapping. I don't even think they know letters. So who knows if they're just like (laughs) grunt noises, plan uh. Yeah, (laughs) seriously. So the men went back to Frank's home to invite him and Christina over for dinner in an effort to lure the couple to Dorbel's apartment for an easier time in subduing them because obviously they were not going to be successful at kidnapping them from any other location. I don't know. They just aren't good at kidnapping. They aren't. Yeah. Once the victims were cornered, Dorbel and Frank began to fight inside the apartment. Dorbel put his hands around Frank's neck, and in all of his steroid-induced rage, he either broke Frank's neck or cut his airway off and killed him. This wasn't part of the plan at all. Frank's assets would be useless to the criminals if he wasn't alive to sign them away. When Christina heard the commotion going on and went to check on Frank, she was horrified to see that Dorbel had seriously injured him, and she began to scream. A panicked Lugo decided to inject the woman with the rompin to make her quiet while they decided to do what to do about Frank. The men moved his body to a bathtub in Dorbel's apartment and turned their attention to Christina, who they suspected would know the code to access Frank's home, and hopefully they'd be able to locate important bank information to access his wealth. The men carried Christina downstairs, but she continued to scream for Frank after one dose of horse tranquilizer. There would be a lot of confusion and terror, um, and the men decided to inject her with a second dose of the tranquilizer. And I read that, like, each dose of this tranquilizer was, like, enough to kill a thousand a thousand pound horse. Is that right? Something like that. It was insane. Yeah, it was definitely too much for a human. Right. So they attempted to coax the information they needed out of her, but she refused to give them what they wanted, so they injected her a third time with more horse tranquilizer, which ultimately killed her. With two murders now on their hands, these idiots had to come up with a plan to hide the bodies. George Delgado was instructed to show up the next morning with a truck, and when he arrived on the morning of May 26th, he realized that Lugo and Dorbel had hidden the bodies inside of a couch that originally had belonged to Mark Schiller. So this was one of the items they had stolen out of his home. The men carried the couch um, out and onto the truck and headed for a warehouse in Hialeah, Florida. I don't understand how they have access to all these warehouses. GTL, baby, GTL, Jim Tan Laundry all the time. But these idiots are GTM, Jim Tan Murder, and warehouses. (laughs) (laughs) Dorbel and Lugo went to Home Depot at some point and bought a chainsaw, a hatchet, knives, buckets, flint, a fire extinguisher, and a mask respirator. And they used these items to dismember the bodies of Frank and Christina. Lugo attempted to burn the hands, feet, and heads, but ended up having to use the fire extinguisher to put out the fire because... This is so, like, 
this is we don't get graphic on our show, but um, it's just part of the story this week. But um, the fire that he had started from that was producing so much smoke that it was like too much, and that's why he had to put it out. It's just really disturbing to yeah. think of that because. You know, if you know what he was doing, it's like just awful to even think of. To not be graphic, you sure did spell that one out. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> so while attempting to dismember the bodies, the chainsaw motor actually burnt out and the men took it back to Home Depot to return it and get a new one. I have nothing to say. I couldn't come up with anything. No. I have nothing to say. No. That is insane. Yeah. The men then used the hatchet to complete the job. Once the bodies had been dismembered and placed into metal drums, Lugo and Delgado went back to Dorbel's apartment to clean up the evidence that was left there, of course, because they started this scuffle. And, of course, they were killed in the apartment, so they had to go and clean up that mess. They were to remove everything, including this little piece of bloodstained carpeting that um, I guess had gotten this blood on it from when Dorbel and Frank were fighting, and eventually Frank was killed. So they were supposed to get all that. Everything was supposed to come out of there. And they stupidly went and put all this evidence that they had gathered up into a storage room at Lugo's apartment. Of course. Of course. I don't know. I mean, there's nothing to say about this because it's like stupid, idiotic criminals and murderers. I mean, it's just horrific that people will just do this kind of thing. And but like, I feel like these guys would be idiots without being murderers. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. they already were. So yeah. that just makes it that much more ridiculous and outrageous, yeah. the stuff that they've done, because you're just like, even if you weren't a killer, like, you'd still be an idiot. Yeah. Danny Lugo flew to the Bahamas the following day of in hopes of accessing money that Frank had deposited there, but he returned to Miami empty-handed. On May 28th, Lugo and Dorball, along with another friend, Mario Gray, disposed of the metal drums in two different locations in the Everglades. Friends of Frank and Christina recalled the couple mentioning that they were going to be in the Bahamas, and for a while, nobody questioned their disappearance, until Frank's sister became concerned that she couldn't get a hold of her brother on the phone. She had a sinking feeling that something terrible had happened. Even though there was no body, homicide detectives were called to respond to the missing person's case. This was highly unusual, but the police believed there were very suspicious circumstances surrounding the disappearance of the young, wealthy couple. One of the detectives who had been working on Mark Schiller's case heard the details of Frank and Christina's disappearance and was immediately suspicious of Lugo and his gang, and within hours, everyone except Lugo had been arrested. Lugo had fled to the Bahamas again, but would be picked up five days later thanks to information supplied to police by his girlfriend, Sabrina Petresca. The case went to trial in 1998, and the jury was presented with 10,000 pieces of evidence involving Mark's kidnapping as well as the murder of Frank and Christina. The jury voted 11 to 1 to recommend the death penalty for Danny Lugo. The judge agreed and sentenced him to death as well as adjudicated him guilty on all 39 other counts that he was charged with. Adrian Dorbel was also sentenced to death. As the verdict was read, he was seen smiling and joking around goofing off in the courtroom. Um, There was many who said that they felt like Danny Lugo at least showed some kind of remorse and that he was actually kind of tearful in the courtroom and kind of showed that he was, you know, he was apologetic and right. he was upset, but that this guy, Adrian Dorbel, just seemed like he honestly... He could care less. He could care less. He was yeah. joking around. His girlfriend was in the courtroom, which I don't know what she's thinking, um, but they were just, you know, he didn't care. He didn't care that he was getting handed down this death sentence and at the ripe old age of 24, you know, he didn't care. And that does kind of... Sp- you know, it's kind of creepy. Yeah. Wait, is it he couldn't care less or he could care less? You couldn't care less. Well, we both said you could care less. Well, I think we both said it wrong. Okay. <laughs> as soon as I said it, less, I was, that means you could. Yeah. Care less. 
That was an important thing. You're not at the bottom yet. <laughs> yeah, you're not quite there. Sorry, that was a very important part of the yeah. story. No, it's definitely couldn't okay. care less. Right? All right. Hey, I'm going to go with you. And then people will be like, Mandy said it wrong. I'll be like, I know. And then I said it wrong. No, I'm just kidding. So both of the men have appealed their convictions numerous times. Once they have exhausted all the appeals, the governor of Florida will sign a death warrant and they will be given lethal injections because that's how we do that's the death penalty in Florida. here in Florida. Mark Schiller said he does not believe in the death penalty and thinks that life in jail is a worse punishment, which hmm. I don't know about these guys. They're like yeah. all big and jacked up. Like they can eat all the honey buns they want yeah. and just live their life. <laughs> so after Mark Schiller left court after the trial, he was actually arrested on charges relating to an extensive Medicare scam. We kind of mentioned that earlier in the show. He ended up serving two years in prison and being ordered to pay $137,000 in restitution. So today, Mark is living a very simple life, not a millionaire anymore. He said he lost everything. Uh, And in total, there was seven members of the gym gang that were sentenced to serve time on charges related to these two events. So what are your thoughts on Mark being arrested after this trial? I think if he was guilty of fraud, then, I mean, I guess you're guilty of fraud. fraud, However, I feel like it could have been taken into consideration that he went through this whole entire thing. Yeah. Although I don't think two years in jail is so bad. It's not like they said you have to spend 15 years in prison. Right. You know, I think two years and then having to pay a fine. Like, I just feel bad for him that he had to go to jail after everything else he already had right. gone through. Well, then it kind of, I mean, then you kind of understand why he never wanted to call the police to begin with because right. it comes on to you. But ultimately, he did break the law and you have to pay for that. And it's unfortunate this other thing happened to you. But like, at the end of the day, you still, right? you committed a crime as well. But ma'am, what he went through is it almost seems like punishment enough, but I like rules too much. So yeah. he should have gone to jail, but I still feel bad for him. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot in my it's heart. So much emotion. It is. <laughs> All right. We will ask a couple quick questions for last thing before we go. All right. You sound so excited. I do. I'm excited. <laughs> okay. Here's one we just pulled off the internet real quick. Um, what is your perfect pizza? These are important questions. Yeah, I know. I love pizza. And I will eat almost any pizza. But if I have to say my absolute favorite dream pizza, I just want a crap load of cheese, green peppers, mushrooms, onions, and ham. Isn't that weird? Ham. Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I like. That's my 30 Rock reference. <laughs> and then I want to top it with all the Parmesan cheese and crushed red pepper. <laughs> Stop making that face at me. <laughs> it's my face. It's what I look like. <laughs> When what I'm is disgusted. your perfect boring pizza, Melissa? Okay. Are you a pineapple person? Yeah, okay, I am. So <laughs> my first one is pepperoni and pineapple. Ew. I don't want ham on there. Just get that. I don't like hot ham <laughs> or hot ham water. There's an Arrested Development re- reference. I'm going to get them all today. I'm so excited. No, I don't like hot. The hot ham just makes me feel kind of queasy. Really? Yeah. That's like, so weird. I actually love like heating up ham like in a pan and putting hot sauce on it. What? <laughs> And like making like a a sandwich out of it, like <laughs> I'm like holding my hands and squeezing them. I'm very stressed out about this information. No, I like cold ham. Like, oh yeah. So you don't it, even like it. cooked ham, like Easter ham or Christmas I want it cold. Ham. I want it cold whenever no. I eat it. No, real cold. No. And before sugar. we started recording, you said I was a weirdo. Excuse me. I would rather you not say things like that when we're recording. <laughs> That was a conversation between me and you. (laughs) 
So my other perfect pizza jerk is um, <laughs> I like mushroom, um, peppers, and tomatoes. I think that's a good pizza. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, that's not it's weird. It's like a garden pizza. It actually is like the Papa John's garden one, but I don't want black olives. No. Do you like black olives? I don't, but it's so weird that's because really my weird. kids love them. Uh, my oldest one just has always loved black olives. I don't know why, but when we get anything like pizza, he always wants on his half, like he wants olives and he eats olives on like subs too. Ooh. I don't know how. I just, I, uh-uh. my daughter eats nope. tomatoes like, like apples. Like she just mm-hmm. washes them and eats I can do them like that. that. I love tomatoes. Yeah. That's not normal for either of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's our perfect pizza. The other question, Mandy can jump in if she likes. You can just make fun of me if you want. Um, Laura from the fall line asked if I would ever get a tattoo because I am tattoo list. So here's my rule on tattoos. If I want, I've thought about this a million times. If I want a tattoo, if I still want it in a year, I'll get it. So I've come up with designs and like played around with them and literally lose a piece of paper or forgot I'd ever thought about it. And a year later, I didn't want it because I forgot about it. So I will never get a tattoo. Let's get a mom's and murder tattoo. Absolutely not. I will never do that. I used to want to get a hummingbird. My grandmother really loved hummingbirds, and so that's one I would get. But I, again, was like every year I'm like, eh. I'm yeah. Not. So I actually have a few tattoos, um, but I got them all when I was much, much younger. The first tattoo I ever got was before I was even 18. Um, my dad like signed for <gasps> yes. it and everything. I know. And then the day after my 18th birthday, I got a huge tattoo on my back that I now have many regrets about and wish I could get it lasered off. Um, but really, but you can't even see it. I can't. And who else is going to see my back? I'm not showing that much skin in public anyway. So. Yeah. So no one really is going to see it. But um, I actually wanted to get another tattoo a couple years back. Like you said, I wanted like a commemorative tattoo for my dad. But yeah. um, I couldn't really decide on like a design or anything. And then now, like you said, the older I get, like every year that passes, like I don't know if I want to get anything new, you know. Yeah. And there's some ideas I've seen that have been really cute, you know, like because my dad was an air traffic controller, so I thought about getting like a little airplane oh, that's cool. somewhere, just like a simple little airplane design. Right. But um, I don't know where I'd put it. And so all the places that are like typical to put something like that, like I'm like, that is way too like young. I'm way too old for that now. You know, like I'm not going to put it on my wrist and I'm not going to put it like on my ankle or like anything yeah. like that, you know. So um, I'm probably just not going to Personal get preference. Like yeah, that. it is. It's a personal preference. But yeah, for me, no, I think I've kind of outgrown the stage in my life of getting tattoos. I don't think I could see myself getting any new ones now. I was born 95 years old. So I was always like, (laughs) I had aged out of tattoos by the time I aged out of diapers. It just wasn't going to happen for me. I like tattoos. Like some people have, uh, you have some nice tattoos and (laughs) my husband has really dumb tattoos. Have you ever even seen my tattoos? I have. I've seen all of them, I think. Unless there's one in, wait, (laughs) then I don't know where that one is, but I've seen a few of them. Um, but like my one one cousin has like sleeves and I love them and like had I started younger I can see the appeal of that but now I'm like I I can I can I can't do picture you with a no. full sleeve well to Laura's second part of her question would I then feel compe- compelled to retire my sleep cardigan sometimes I sleep in a cardigan sometimes I sleep in a little jacket there's nothing more satisfying <laughs> in the middle of the night than feeling a little hot taking it off and it's like brand new fresh air it's like turning your pillow over at night. You're like to get the cold side. I just sleep in a tank top and I, no. I get that feeling all the time. It's just always fresh Fully, air. I've got pants on, long sleeve, everything. I have socks. <laughs> I'm like ready. If the house is on fire, I'm going to go out and be interviewed by the police or by the like, not police, be interviewed by the news and like, I'll be fine. 
I'll be totally covered. I'll Did be you fine. start the fire? I know. <laughs> Not the police. <laughs> I didn't. So that's our random ramblings, which is really what we should have called that whole thing. Um, <laughs> so I hope you guys have a good week. We'll be back in two weeks. Find us in our Facebook group, Mom's Word, Twitter, Instagram, patreon.com slash Mom's Murder Podcast. And um, we will see you soon. Bye. Murder. The unlawful premeditated killing of one human being by another. A short, simple definition of a word that we're all familiar with. For most of us, murder is just that. A word or a definition that has no impact on our lives. But to some people, murder is much more than that. It's real. It's personal because they've lost a loved one to murder. And I want to share their stories with you. My name is Mike Morford, and some of you may know me as co-host of the true crime podcast, Criminology. I'd like to invite you to check out my new podcast, The Murder in My Family. In each episode, I'll recount a single murder case and talk one-on-one with the family members of these victims to see how these tragic crimes changed their lives and where their search for justice has taken them since. Starting in July of 2018, you can find and subscribe to The Murder in My Family on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I hope you'll join me for The Murder in My Family. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com